And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror! <laughs> Hello, dead kitties! You've reached the Chris Keeper's newly croaked hotline. I guess you could say I'm phoning it in this week. Anyway, if you need a connection to an AM radio, please press 1. If you need to be connected to a medium or channeler, press 2. And if you need to be connected to a disconnected old-school dial black phone in a serial killer's basement, press 6 three times. And welcome to the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. I am one of your hosts, Mr. Jason Giaconetti, and I am joined by the usual crew of misfits. This time, across your radio listening dial, we have the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. Yeah, I took him down because obviously I'm the grabber, you dumb fucking fart knockers. <laughs> oh, that was one of my lines. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we have the uh, one of the uh, two true freaks OG himself, Chris Honeywell. Jesus, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that other voice you hear is, of course, my brother, Mr. Luke Jacanetti. Don't fuck with my game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, Hero, you took mine with uh, the fart knockers thing. I was like, oh my god, I gotta get those. I was like, that's my line, but it's cool. All right, so, uh, anytime, folks. Anytime you can't... get a drop fart knocker, I'm using it. <laughs> folks, if you can't tell what we're talking about here, uh, well, it's the two, tw- 2000, 2021 release called The Black Phone based on the Joe Hill, uh, that's Stephen King's son, um, short story, uh, which came out uh starring this the new movie starring ethan hawk which uh just dropped again this past uh it's 2021 right it came out yeah it came, so, I, I okay, it was so black phone was released in 2021 because it played in the festivals but it got a wide release in the summer of 22 yeah. <clears throat> yes but it is yes. it is it, it was made in 2021 and is credited as 2021 so yeah so i'm trying to th- yeah i was trying to f- remember that because you know 2021 and 2022 for me is a, kind of a blur. They're all, they're uh, all basically just one year. I mean, yeah, we all yeah. know that. <laughs> one year, 20. It's just been one giant big fuck you to the whole thing, right? Yeah. So, um, like we said, this is the uh, movie. This is uh, the Black Phone, uh, which came out and uh, did really well. 
uh, overall, um, it got a lot of positive reviews. It did well in the theaters. Um, it kind of got people talking about horror again, which is great um, because we know that, you know, when there's more, when there's good horror movies, that's, you know, good for, that's good for cinema. It's good for business, good for everything. Um, because then you get, you know, butts in seats. Uh, your director uh, is Scott Derrickson. Uh, now, Scott Derrickson, excuse me. Um, some of you might uh, uh, know, remember him as the director for Sinister. Um, and then and he was strange. Dr. Strange. Yeah, that's I mean, the thing with Sinister. There's a lot of there's actually a lot of connective tissue between the black phone and Sinister uh, because uh, obviously like not just the Ethan Hawke thing, but there's actually a lot of stuff in black phone that literally ties directly back to Sinister, which is interesting. Oh if you've ever seen Sinister or saw those things. But, well, it's um, also kind of yes, interesting that, you know, it's one thing for directors to do that, but Sinister is not an, I mean, Black Phone's an adaptation, right? So yep. it's the adaptation, like you said, of the story by Joe Hill. So yep. it was interesting that there was the connections to an unrelated, it'd be one thing if it was connections to another Joe Hill story, or even if it was to like a King story or something like that, because there are some, a lot of allusions in this story to it which um, kind of comes with the territory, right? But it, it was interesting that there was a connection to Sinister when it's like the director putting his own stamp on an adaptation like that. Yeah. Well, I think it's just some of the things, the stylistic choices he made, um, the way things are shot, the way, you know, the way lighting is done, the way things are certain little pieces here and there uh, was him trying to, you know, get his nod, um, obviously, to the connections that would exist because of the stuff in Sinister. I mean, not, not direct. This is not like, we're not saying like, oh my God, that's exactly lifted from this movie, but there are things there. Um, it's interesting that Luke just mentioned it because originally, uh, we well, in Black the Black Phone, uh, the Grabber, played by Ethan Hawke, uh, oh, sorry, spoiler, is played by <laughs> Ethan Hawke. Um, it's, it's on the fucking trailer, so. Uh, he's a magician. That's his thing. Originally, the plan was to make him a clown. And what uh, Joe Hill, Joe Hill had said was, "Yeah, we're living in a post-it world. There's no fucking way we can have a clown work here. It's got to be something right. different." So, and the magician works; it makes perfect sense um, in what he's doing. the The thing is, the 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 mask, the the prosthetic, the mask that the 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 grabber wears. Um, those were uh, actually designed by Tom Savini. Yes. Uh, so, and you're going to have, you know, you're going to make a movie. It's based on a Joe Hill stuff. Like this is, you know, you're going to make a big budget film. Why not have Savini on? Uh, and he wanted to make sure uh, that um, the the um, the different, all the different masks that were there, they they were not. It's not something you've seen before. You know what I'm saying? It, it looks familiar, but it's not exactly something you've seen. Yeah. It's that there's different parts covering his face. You get to see his whole face at, you know, through bits and pieces, but you didn't see his whole face until he, you know, takes the, all the mask off and he exposes his whole face. Like, that's what I'm saying. So you saw bits and pieces of his face the whole time. Things, different things. <sighs> so, but. Well, the thing about this is I've never read I never read the story. I've never read really anything by Joe Hill, to be to be completely frank. So when it when it came I had no idea this was an adaptation of a Joe Hill story until I started watching it. And it came up, it's a based on the short story by Joe Hill. 
And in fact, that's my first note. It was, hey, Joe Hill. Um, <laughs> but um, so but what struck me was that watching this, there was certain parts of this that very much reminded me of something Stephen King would have written. Oh, yes. yeah. But oh, then yeah. there are other things that that go in kind of a different direction than you would have expected a King story to take. I mean, um, you know, the some of the themes like the isolation and uh, the desperation and, you know, being trapped somewhere with something outside that's trying to get that not not trying to get in, but trapped with something outside that reminded me of a couple of different King stories. The one that strangely enough, this kind of reminded me of was Gerald's game in a way, uh, uh, yeah. you know, with the idea that, you know, you're you're in a place that you can't get out of because mm-hmm. of whatever reason. In this case, you know, he, he's not handcuffed to the bed, but he's trapped in the basement. Uh, but then the supernatural aspect on top of it also had kind of a King vibe. So I thought that was interesting that even though Joe Hill was a very successful author in his own right, that the, you could still see the connective tissue from a generic standpoint with his dad. So I did appreciate that because I, I do like his... King and I probably should read some some Joe Hill stuff. I, I've got a couple of his books that I picked up at garage sales, but I haven't I haven't gotten to read them yet. I it's funny I I, I googled a picture a recent picture of him and it's just like oh Jesus he looks yeah. he's he's oh just, God, dead just yeah. let himself just go into his <laughs> and the first tw- I got to be honest the first twenty minutes of this I thought I'm not gonna like this because like the opening titles kind of felt like a TV show and. It was feeling like sort of like well, my note is sort of like an AI Stephen King story, oh, and uh, interesting. the dialogue with the kids was sounding rough to me, and uh, the the um, design of it because in 1970 when this took place when the, the era they're shooting it in, I went to visit my cousins in Denver, and it had the vi- it had the vibe of that time and like Denver and like what my cousin and his friends were like and stuff. And so that was kind of neat, but like, but once it got rolling, I was, ju- I got sucked right into it. And then I was totally down. I think what happened with, with, especially with the, the, the little girl is I, I, I think what they did is they, they scripted her swearing, the, the kids swearing. And, uh, so, it it didn't sound as natural to me. What I think they should have done is probably like like in the Bad News Bears, in the Bad News Bears, that was in that time period. So the kids priority knew how to swear. Let the <laughs> kids improvise the swearing because kids come up with the best, most just like bizarre, hilarious combinations of swears to to put together. So just teach a little girl. Here are the swear words of the time knock yourself out you know and it might have sounded more natural coming to coming from her because as the movie got, went on her her performance all the all the kids performance all the performances in this were really good actually but once once it got go- rolling i was loving it just for the simplicity of it yeah I, it was nice to see something that was something you could almost do on a stage yeah if you were so inclined yeah. Because could, it was you could it, adapt it for that, sure. Yeah, but it was just the the tension of, and it starts off just very small. That there are kids going missing in this town. The parents that have lost the kids are beside themselves. There's just enough information to go on that apparently they're finding black balloons near where these kids are taken, and you're off and running. You know, and yeah. it's 
And it just no, it, it gives you just enough to keep you know you know knowing enough of what's going on to move forward, you know. Yeah, and, and you know it's it's just a matter of time until our you know our main character is gonna get gonna get grabbed, you know. It's just... yeah, 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 yeah. It, it and and it it also reminded me of the 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 last two the Joker and the Batman movie insofar yep. as the last two that came out insofar as this is you know it's a serial killer movie you know it's a, a Stephen King supernatural su- serial killer movie it it just grabs a whole bunch of tropes from you know there's a whole um, there's several you know um, Silence of the Lambs part but like at the end when you know they're they're raiding one house and you know there's another house yeah. with stuff going on is totally a nod to sign, you know, whereas the other, you know, the Batman and the Joker had little bits of, you know, King of Comedy and Taxi Driver and stuff like that mixed, you know, mixed in with them. Or, or they were sort of almost modeled on that. And this was mo- seemed to be modeled on a, a bunch of, like, Stephen King stories, serial killer stories. A little bit of seven with like some of the color, you know, color tone of it and stuff. But it it, it has its own thing. This you know, it, it's it's all doing it in service of you know, its sort of main theme of like basically abuse of children. You know, on what you know, violence towards children, whether it's kids beating each other up or yeah, I mean, the first half of this movie before he gets grabbed, it's just kids get beating the shit out of each other yeah and uh and you know and and what's and when we went out to denver we also went to seattle where we visited our uncle who was basically drunken manson beardo dad so yeah and so you have like the abusive father at home you know they're just getting it from every and then the school where the bullies are out and then the grabber comes so the nice uh, and simple yeah, so the, the thing is, they sure that, um, and it's trying to play off of stuff that, again, you have any, yes, not everyone has knowledge about serial killers or different things like that, um, although even though those are like always the most popular things on Netflix, if there's a story about a serial yeah. killer, 12-part episode, someone's going to wa- watch it. Um, that or, we noticed, or podcasts. <laughs> yes, of course, I'm saying, okay. So you would you would notice uh, um, there's some Ted Bundy, some John Wayne Gacy, mm-hmm. and some Jeff mm-hmm. Dahmer. Bundy, of course, would lure his victims to his car and help with his car. John Wayne Gacy was known to use his belt on his victims, and Dahmer is the one who had the victim escape and then was recaptured. Those things, things like that, make I think the story as you're as you're watching the movie makes you kind of connect with things yeah. that you know. Other it's serial like killers did, yeah, right, exactly. He looks and, like and he kind of looks like Jeffrey Dahmer. He, yeah, well, he Ethan Hawke's a, a smidge taller, but yes, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah he does. Um, so uh, the director actually said he he the his main two influences film were uh, the 1959 movie and then the 2001 movie. The Devil's Backbone, which is one of our favorites, you know, it's Gromo del Toro. And it's oh like, my God, I don't movie. know how I didn't see that watching it. The first, of right. course, it is. Yeah, but see, what I'm saying, but like stylistically, it's there. Now, if you look carefully, 
there is a line that goes around the entire room, right, where the phone cord is, all that, there's, there's the line on the wall. It literally looks like, from Sinister, the poster. It's done on purpose. The name of the, the grab-and-go convenience store is Ellison. That's Ethan Hawke's character's name in Sinister. He tied in little things here and there. Again, being an adaptation, that's hard to do sometimes. But you can do slight things throughout as a director to kind of draw things from your audience's mind. Even if you didn't notice it, even if you had no idea, looks off. It looks like something you've seen. It looks different than what it should be there. It's such a great idea to put little nods here and there um, that allow you to uh, draw upon other feelings and emotions and other memories as you're watching the film. Because, the, this, I mean, to be honest with you, the story's engrossing. You, once oh, yeah. you get in there, you're just like, how is he getting out? Like, And you're looking yeah. at all the things he's doing. You're like, digging that hole is not going to help. Like, why would he need to do that? And yet every one of those things he does literally comes back to be how he escapes. Yeah, All Brilliant. of those things, every single one of them, I'm like, oh my God, this takes real thought. And it works really well. Excuse me. It works really well in the idea, though, too, is that as you look at, like, what's going on, you're thinking, like, okay, well, maybe he can get to the window and he can get out, right? You know, like, you didn't do this yet. And then all the things the kids, he's hearing from the kids, when it comes back at the end, and then now when, he, when, he's, when he's able to defeat the grabber in, at the end, every one of those lines that the kids are saying to him yeah. work perfectly. And I'm like, holy fuck. How did, like, I don't get fooled in movies. I don't. I don't get fooled anymore. I see what's happening. I know what's going to go on. I, I fucking guess the ending five minutes in. Unless you make some shit up at the last minute that makes no sense, you don't fool me. But this did a very good job of leading me on a journey, letting me believe I knew everything I needed to know, and then tied it together. And then it's like, oh, shit, how did I miss this? It's like, and I, I'm not saying it's the same level of movie. It's like the first time you watch The Usual Suspects, you right. literally don't even realize that Kevin Spacey is reading shit yeah. off the wall. And yeah. then watch it the second time it's in, i cannot watch suitable suspects without watching kevin spacey look around the room right because he does it and it's like fuck of course he does of course it does and of course the kid's telling him use the phone handle to do this and he's showing them how to fight and it's like but that's the same it makes perfect sense the kid who wants him to stand up for himself who's his friend who gets grabbed that's the one who's telling him how to defeat him well, we have this and this, and it's like, of course, all these things make sense. And as soon as they started falling in line, I was like, oh, shit, the steaks in the freezer is perfect for the... Like, all of a sudden, now my mind trying to jump ahead of what the story's doing. Yeah. But it's only at that last minute. We waited 90 minutes to get there. Yeah. And like, fuck. I'm like, I love a movie that doesn't let me just know. Give me enough information. I can follow along. I do everything that's happening. But yet I'm still, you know, whatever. Just real quick, I, 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 just want to I, I don't know. I mean, the, the problem, I'll be honest with you, the problem I had with this is that I think the story works better in print because once you make it visual, it introduces more information to the story that makes you ask questions. At least it did me. It's okay. like, okay, he goes upstairs, right? And the grabber is asleep. And it's like, okay, here's the combination you got to try. There's a kitchen filled with fucking knives. Yes. He doesn't, he doesn't arm time. himself in any way. He doesn't. Yeah you know, immediately take 
a cord or something and wound him in some way. Okay. He says, oh, you got to use the receiver, pack it with dirt and use that. That's a better weapon than the glass bottle that you have. That's a better weapon than the top of the toilet tank. That's a better weapon than a frozen fucking piece of meat. No, it's not. There's not enough dirt you can pack into that thing to actually hurt anyone. Okay. It's just not, it's not, it's physics, right? You run outside, you're silent. You don't, you wait till he grabs you and says, if you scream, I'll kill you. No, because in a movie, you have you have to have that. In a story, you don't see how long he's out, right? Mm-hmm. In the movie, visually, you know the second he hits that foot out the door, he's screaming his head off, right? But in a story, in, a, in the written word, you don't have that visual information. So that's the things that honestly took me out of this movie. I mean, you know, again, we, we, we can argue back and forth, and I know Hero will take the opposite stance than I will about subject matter. And what I what I am interested in watching at this point in my life, but those little things bugged me about the movie. I loved the ending. I loved how it all came together. And I'm like Jay. Once I kind of saw, it's like, oh, I see what they're doing. They're setting everything up, and he's using all the information. And I really liked the ending. And I loved the twist because the twist with the two houses legitimately oh, surprised the hell out of me. Because but it also oh, makes sense yeah. because that's where the that's what the ghosts know. The ghosts know. The ghosts are the dead. They don't know where they were. They only know where they are. Yeah. Right. And so that I really liked that part with the twist and I and the interaction with the the brother and sister, which to me is is a great fictional trope that I've never seen in reality. I've never seen two siblings get along as well as siblings <laughs> do in movies. I've got, I've got multiple iterations of brothers and sisters in this house. None of them get along like that. Um, the the only reason the only reason I thought it was kind of plausible is just because their dad was such a shit that they had to sort of stick together mom, in order to survive. Dead. And their mom is dead. Yeah, that's, that's that's I agree with that. That's how I kind of no prize it. But you know, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. Oh yeah, that's... I had a sister. I had a sister, Luke. I I did. Yeah, <laughs> we're not having those moments. Yeah. Also, I did want to ask when. Um, okay, it's 1978. So this is so. I'll just say that was a pretty cutting edge pinball machine that the uh, that the, uh, the 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 the, yeah. the grab and go had because so that's yeah. a that is a Gottlieb Jungle Queen, which came yeah. out in 1977. So this is set in 1978. Also, that. that that gas station sold a lot of Starlog magazines too. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah, notice that. That was a big old rack of Starlogs. One one thing I will say that's cool about Jungle Queen, as an aside, the back glass drawn by Jack Kirby. Ooh, that's I'll, probably I'll, why I'll, it made it in. I'm sure it is. I'm sure that that or maybe that was. Uh, no, no, every that was like a, a game that one that either the writer or the director played yeah. at some point, you know. But I'm had a purpose like though like the, the, even i bet and i don't know this the van probably is a van from same van you everything has a reason and a purpose yeah, this guy van from the movie the van him. it's a straight arrow it's a straight that's what it is devito's um, running. bobby i got the money no i'm just saying is he's like he purposely put things together i mean uh the, the whole thing with dickerson he wasn't even supposed to be the director on this film like he he was on um, uh, Multiverse of Madness. They had a uh, quote unquote uh, what do they call it um, um, artistic difference of opinion. That's a nice way to say they didn't really see eye to eye. So he walked off. He still gets executive producer credit on the film, 
But then we get Sam Raimi coming in and making an Evil Dead movie in the Doctor Strange universe, which is cool. Uh, but, like, he literally left that film, and that allowed him to come here to make this. So I think he was like, like look, I need control over these things. I want to shoot it the way I want to shoot it. You know, it's... It, and, and there's nods throughout the whole thing. The little girl's wearing literally the same coat as Georgie in it. Like, it's oh, yeah. this, this the thing. On that either. Because, because, because you see a yellow raincoat, and you know that's Georgie, Right. And yeah. what she's in, and she's on her bike, and what there's so many little things that call back to King or whatever. I mean, the the guy wears a he, the grabber wears a top hat. That's freaking what's her name in um, Doctor Sleep? It's Rose. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Almost the identical hat. Because why did it have to be? No, it could have been any hat. But it's again taking pieces that visually he wanted to do, and again. Like Luke said, I mean, again, we could, you know, argue about, you know, what we like, don't like, whatever. I think what we got was a movie that could have been just, okay, this is fine, to a movie that I think someone thought far more about uh, visually what to put in, how to tie it together, where to draw my influences, where to pay homage and things like that to make the movie more than it should have been. Because this was supposed to be... Because it's it's 2021 for the for the film festivals, it was supposed to be dumped in January 2022, and what happened was they did really well at film festivals, so Bloomhouse pushed it to us a, uh, a late spring, early summer release because they said we might have a hit on our hands, and they did. This movie actually did well, um, but that's just crazy to think that like, excuse me, that like. It's, again, people think horror movie. Oh, it just, just throws some blood in the screen. You're good to go. There's not much blood in this. No. There's not. No. This this movie is more about terror and about like you know like overcoming like the evils of life. It's not like blood gore slash them up. I mean, I thought Doctor Sleep was far more violent than this. Oh yeah. You know? oh, especially in the violence towards children, Doctor Sleep <laughs> had like just a. Uh a gut wrencher as far as that goes but yeah. like the most the most brutal violence in this is like between is the kids you know just pummeling each other's heads and oh, the father yeah. whipping the whipping the daughter with the belt yeah. are, are like that's the most like intense like graphic violence it's not bloody violence but it's graphic no and yeah. it feels real it feels yeah. real and it's and it's like and the way the kids are reacting to, you know, to a parent giving them a whipping is pretty realistic and just like, you know, terrifying. Yeah. And, and, you know, the serial killer stuff that exists almost in its own little world where the other stuff is more like, boom, super immediately relatable to the real world, you know? Yeah. So real quick, let me just throw this in here. Estimated budget was about 18 million. Um, opening weekend pulled just under 24 million. The nice. gross in the U the U.S. gross was just under 90. Worldwide gross 161.2 million dollars. So, I think Bloomhouse made the right call, not dumping this in January, but pushing it to a summer release. Oh yeah. I mean, if 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 I can say to you, I'm, I'm going to give you 20 million dollars, and you can return 160 on it. I mean, I I understand that's not. MCU numbers, 
but we don't but not every movie costs a hundred million dollars to make it makes right. it you know this is a great return on investment you now have basically <laughs> bloomhouse can use the 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 what came in on this movie will fund the next however many movies you know what i'm saying so yep. just want to make sure i threw the numbers out there as, a, as an aside, I, I screwed up earlier. Jack Kirby did not do the back glass for it. it. It's still really cool back glass on Jungle Queen, but I, I misread the the notice here on the uh, IPDB.org. So that's on me. I wanted to correct that. But, but you know, we, we've talked about this, talking about the money. You know, that that's that's always been the strength of the genre, right? And we've said this time and again. Yeah. It doesn't cost a lot of money to make a movie scary. Right. And if you can make your movie scary, you can make a lot of money and you can afford to make more scary movies or in Bloomhouse's case, make movies, you know, all sorts of different scary movies. Right. That's that's like their whole wheelhouse. It's their reason for living. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm down with that. And I and like I said, I got a friend of mine at work. She's real big into horror and she likes a lot of modern stuff. And she said that she almost had trouble classifying this as a horror film more like a supernatural thriller because of the lack of those kind of traditional horror elements in it. Right. So it does it. And, but that's sort of like King in a lot of ways, isn't it? There are yeah. certain stories that King does that you're like, well, that, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So I, like I said, I, I, I really think, I mean, visually, I think the film is, is, is amazing. I, I it is shot so well. It's lit wonderfully. We talk about lighting a lot and I love the lighting in this, all these, the these, period look of it. The period of it, the I mean, it's it's a well-made film, but I think what really carries the day here is that you have such a good piece of source material that is adapted and adapted well, that it's a right. it's a good story and it keeps your well, interest. Again, you can nitpick and you can say, you know, I don't want to watch a movie about kids being in danger or kids being abducted because that doesn't jive with 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 me personally. Yeah, but it's a well-made film, and it and and it's it's good to see a well-made horror film make some money. Right. Because yeah. too yeah. often I think it's trash that's marketed well that makes money and we get more trash that that's marketed well rather than something is like, I, you know, it's like this, this was not saturated in marketing. Right. This wasn't, you know, every time you opened uh, Hulu, you got an ad for the black phone or anything like that. It wasn't even saturated marketing when it was on on Peacock. Right. Yep. So it, right. it, it I, the, the, the word of mouth did a lot for this film. And then, of course, just the imagery, just the one sheet of the mask you know, did, did a lot to carry this film to the point that I'm sure some people had no idea what the hell it is. Like, Oh, black phone. That's a horror movie, right? That looks scary. You know? So well, I, uh, really, I, I have read the short story in the short story. You just mentioned this in the short story. Cause I know I'd seen this because I, I have, I have the book. I just literally have not had time to read it. I was reading a couple other books. Um, the grabber is a clown in the short story. Cause it was written before yeah. they had redone it, you know, kind of thing. Um, and then the suggestion was that we need to change it. And they said, well, magician would be a good idea. And that in the original uh, early drafts, they had used a leather mask with a smile and, or a frown. And Scott Dickerson, uh, uh, Der Derrickson, excuse me, not Dickerson, Derrickson, knew that that was going to be so important. That's why they brought Savini in to help design the mask to be more than just some leather mask. Right. You know what I'm because... Luke's right. The poster for this film—it's the cover of the 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 um the it's now the cover of the trade paperback, right? Kind of thing. It literally is Ethan Page with the hat on. Ethan Page. Good lord, not the that wrestler. would be a totally different movie if it was. I would, I, 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 they would the take grabber. all my money. 
Hey, all I know is Ethan Page has the tightest tits in the business. Um, but oh no, uh, yeah, uh, Ethan Hawke, um, you know, in the mask with the hat on. That it's so. There's there's nothing that 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 image tells me nothing about the film, and yet it tells me, all right, there's something evil about. Creepy. Yeah, creepy. There's, that's Creepiness not like, going on. So, yeah. So. Well, I like I never read the story, but I got the strong sense of this. And like the, th- the thing about like a lot just movies in general that are adaptations of something like you got a book and a book is usually too much for a movie. So you end up with an overlong movie with too many moving parts yep. or they'll take a short story and they'll try to stretch it out into some whole other thing like uh, like uh, uh, the Mangler or something like that, you know, and like, OK, but this had the feel of a short story, like all the information you would get in a, in a decently long short story, like a 25, 30 page, maybe 40 page short story. And which is just enough for a movie, you know, just enough for, to get all your, you know, the point you want to make in it and to have, to have it all play out. <clears throat> and <clears throat> like with the mask, it's it's totally from this kid who just aside he looks like uh, Dean Ween from the band Ween as a little kid, but uh, um, it's all from his the kid's point of view. So you don't have like in a Stephen King book might have like a lot of internal dialogue or occasional you know a short chapter that's just the internal dialogue of the Ethan Hawke character and stuff, and you don't get any of that. And so you don't get like overt explanations for what's going on with him. But you but if you know your Stephen King stories and those sort of tropes and and not not your Joe Hill, but like it's a very Stephen King thing that like when he comes down with the mask, he you know, now he's got the smile mask, the frown, you know, so you see you're going, okay. He's like maybe di- we're seeing diff- either different personalities or different aspects of a personality but there's a there's a there's a structure to it we don't know what it is it's going on in his mind but we know it's there and you can just get enough of it to sort of know roughly what's going on in there and and it's just the perfect amount of information to keep you to you know to keep you involved and you know you're learning along with the kid and uh yeah i i i just think that's you know, they should do more short stories like that where you just adapt the short story, you know? Yeah. And changing things like he's a clown, you know, and this and that. Okay, that's that's minor things, you know, compared to like trying to make Lawnmower Man into a full length movie or something <laughs> like that, you know. Or make it a sequel to it. That seems even more <laughs> right. 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 I, I just thought it was hilarious because I had just read this that book with Lawnmower Man and it's like this like story of like a pagan god, the guy who comes and eats somebody's loss. Yeah, it's a V, and the, it got turned into a VR movie. It was just amazing. Yeah, well, but isn't that though the thing that when you look at the like when they adapt Clive Barker work, the best stuff they adapt is one of two things. It's either like his novellas. Which right. like that's Hellraiser. I mean, Hellraiser works beautifully, and again, it's not exactly the same, right? Or they take <clears throat> the idea of the concept of what his uh, longer work is, 
and they turn it into something else. When it works the best, like, I mean, Cabal is not a short book. No, no, no. Cabal but, is very dense. Right. But what happens is it's, you could never make Cabal the movie. But when you're trying, when you're making Nightbreed, you take the essence and parts of it and you kind of just, okay, where can we, what can we take out of here? This whole universe that lives in this book and you make Nightbreed. I'm right? surprised Night- when Netflix was doing everything that they never contacted Clive Barker and said, hey, uh, I just, I mean, the thing is this, the, the, there's, there's the, there's the new Hellraiser movie that came out, which explores, if you, if you haven't seen the new Hellraiser movie, folks, it explores the, the, the box much deeper, right? And it's very, I don't, I don't mean, it's a, it's a different kind of Hellraiser movie than what we normally get. But they're making a series, uh, a Hellraiser series that has nothing to do with the new movie. And I'm like, Hellraiser itself, the first one, right? The original Hellraiser. It, when you read the, 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 the Hellbound Heart, like, you can see, like, I mean, there are changes made, but it's not that different. It's not like, oh, my God, like, this is completely not anywhere close to the source material. And the reality is Hellbound, you know, Hellraiser 2 kind of builds off of it. But like, you know, that's about it. And and I I know I know some people love Hellraiser three and love um, what's the other one? Not Inferno. What's what's the one with the serial killer? Um, oh, that's that's Inferno. It's Inferno. It is okay. Sorry. Yeah, the one I, with I, the I, police. The one with the the police detective and all that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Inferno. Then what's yeah. the one in space? Uh, that's um um Bloodline. Oh, okay. Right. Sorry. They, again, That's the one with Roman of, Reigns and the Usos. Yeah. It's in space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's feeling Usi tonight? Uh, anyway, so. Uh, the Old Generico shows up at the end, you know. <laughs> uh, um, but the thing is, when you look at those, like those movies started becoming just take a movie and stick the pin, you know, stick, uh, you know, the Cenobites the in Cenobites them. Cenobites in them, right. You know, yes. I, the the best stuff you had there was based on what Clive Barker had written. When you see good adaptations of Clive Barker's stuff, like it's either something short he wrote or it's taking his stuff and saying, okay, let's cut away everything else and let's grab some of that story. Yep. I, I don't know how well, again, having read Barker's stuff, how well some of his stuff would translate to the screen. I feel it's a lot like um, uh, oh crap! I just forgot the name of the movie. The the Nicholas Cage movie we just did, we did uh, a while ago. Um, Colorado Space. Col- Colorado Space. When you read Colorado Space, I don't know how you make that movie. I don't. And then we, <laughs> right. we watched Colorado Space, and it was like, Colorado. If you have no idea what Colorado Space is when you're walking, in, you're like, what the fuck is this? But when you read the story, you're like, oh shit, yeah, this is exactly right. When you read when you read Lovecraft, some of the stuff doesn't lend itself well to the screen, Ew. but yet, but but yet Reanimator. When you read Herbert West Reanimator, it's a very short story, and then there's another short story. It was just they took the basic concept and built the story around it. Yep. What we're doing here is, I think, what <clears throat> and this has always been the knock on Stephen King, and and I and, and I know we're talking about his son here, but like. The knock on King has always been his, he doesn't know how to end a story. He just meanders and meanders and meanders. A, cer- a certain percentage of the time, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. but it's true. 
his stories just kind of go on yeah. and on and on and on. That's it's why like at least thirty percent of the books, yeah. at least. Yeah, that's why Stephen King's best work are his short novels. To me, my favorite Stephen King book is always going to be Carrie. I love Carrie, right? And the original Carrie with Sissy Spacek is one of my favorite movies. I literally have Sissy Spacek tattooed onto my leg, right, from Carrie. That's how important. Oh, I thought it was Cole Miner's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying this. Uh, you, when you look at that, Carrie is a very short Stephen King novel. It yes. It out, it does its thing, it doesn't meander. As good as Salem's Lot, as good as The Stand, as good as The Tommyknockers, whatever other book you might like of his, right? It, right? They kind of just kind of meander. Yeah. But then you, but then you read like like the Dark Half, or um, like the Dark Half movie's really good too because it was easy enough. To, it, you could you could pare that down. It gets hard sometimes. Joe his 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 books under um what what the hell was his other name? Richard Bachman. Richard Bachman. His Richard Bachman books were were off mostly like just boom to the point, you know. Well, that's the Running Man. That's yeah. literally where the Running Man comes from, and Running Man is a great. The movie again. I know it's not exactly like the book, but that's it. Like it just gets in and out. The one thing that Joe Hill does, Joe Hill has worked on comic books and stuff as well as uh, and written for comics and stuff as well yeah, as. Written... Well, the first thing that most people knew him from was Lock and Key. Exactly, a very successful horror series that was turned into a Netflix series. Yeah. Right, and when you're writing for a comic book, you can't just meander. Right. You got to kind of get in there and tell the story. Right. Because it's a visual medium. But that's the whole idea. I think what what Joe Hill's advantage is, is that he's had that experience writing for a different medium. Comic books is a very different medium than writing novels. Right. He writes really good short stories. He's he has collections of short stories that most people who have read Joe Hill stuff. Are like yeah, I read some of his short stories right when outside of the lock and key. He's also the guy responsible for uh, Nosferatu. It's it's uh, you know the there was two seasons on AMC right of um, Nosferatu right. That's that's what, that's not what it's called. What the hell is it called? Why can't I think? Oh, uh, NOS four eight two. Yeah, or, Nosferatu. Yes, yes Nosferatu. That's what it's supposed to be, right? Yeah. But those. That's a book, and they cut it into two seasons, and those see, and those, that was well received and got great reviews. And you're thinking to yourself, going, but the it's not like the book is overlong. When people read his stuff, they're not like, yeah, it was great, but it just started dragging at the end. Maybe that's maybe that's the advantage. Maybe the advantage was to work on comics to get in and out, tell a story. You only have 27 pages or 30, but you only have this time to get in and out and do your thing. I don't know, but I think what we're seeing is that Gloomhouse, excuse me, does not want to make movies. They, they make movies that make money. I mean, whether you like their movies, don't like their movies, you got to admit that company knows how to make horror movies that make money. Literally, that's all the um, um, Insidious movies. It's all of the... Uh, um, yeah, they're more Roger Corman than, than any... They, they are like... They but, are but the, like but even, the modern version of sort of Troma and Corman, but well, they're higher level. A lot math, more though. refined, really. Yeah, they, 
They really, they really learned from that and took it into this day and age of like. I mean, if, if you, I mean, th this is this is going to be, you know, the 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 obvious answer for me, but this is this is what, um, you know, uh, Charles Band did at Empire in the early days of Full Moon. Yes. Was yes. make a make an inexpensive film that makes money that doesn't look like it's an inexpensive film, right? And yep. that to me was always the difference between like Empire, Full Moon, right, and Troll. Right. Was Troma right. purposefully looked like trash because yeah, that was the aesthetic. well Troma would 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 take a would release a movie that somebody anybody made just anywhere, and just sort of rip them off and be like, yeah, we'll really you know I mean they they made their own movies too, but right. they, yeah, Troma the, was but, more like the like you know the 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 porn house of the porn yes. house version of Roger Corman. Right, but Corman was the same way. Corman made B pictures that looked good. You know, yeah. we we always think about corman with the you know i always think about like dementia 13 right now yep. corman didn't direct that but dementia 13 looks and and i you can go see dementia 13 because it's in the public domain it's very easy to see this film right i mean so, coppola directed it so <laughs> right yeah it, it's a it's a wonderful looking film it's a very professional looking film that was made extremely cheaply and again, that was that was the Charles Band method was, you know, I, I can do little things here and there. I can shoot a certain way yeah. that the film looks like it costs more than it did. And that makes us more money because it looks more professional when we sell it. Bloomhouse, as you say, they're they're inside Hollywood. They're not outside of that, but they make films that are slick, well-produced, you know, uh, well-marketed and make money and it's again whether you you know and, and we've run the gamut on this very show about our opinion about Bloomhouse movies right but yeah. all of them fit those those criterion they're, they're 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 marketable they're slickly produced and they look pretty good right and then that that's enough a lot of times to make enough money that like you said you can just throw that in the coffers and produce the well, next couple of films well they also have they also have a degree of uh, you know and it's going to be a differing like some of some of them are tailored more i don't want to say to a dumber audience but to, to the more general public yeah you know boo type of movies and well I mean, but, even but even they, remaking they really, Firestarter, right? That's that's a general yeah. audience movie. Mm -hmm. That's but not they, a hardcore they, horror fan movie. No, but they yeah, and they don't. But they just they they never like you. You never feel like they're in, insulting your intelligence, or or they're yeah. you, or they're just grabbing. They're definitely going like, oh, this makes money. We'll go with this. But that's just called survival for a place like that. And did they do? Did they do the um? Oh, what the hell? What, the Purge movies? Uh, House of Purge movies? I don't remember. I gotta look. Hang but on. it was, it was, that was a similar sort of thing that whoever, whoever made the first Purge movie were, they were doing a bunch of like, and just be like the first Purge movie wasn't that good, but it was okay, but it was really cheap. But they just like very intelligently. Yes. Okay, it, so they did. It's Jason Bloom, and then also Michael Bay was one of the producers on it too. Yeah. The yeah. Another guy that knows how to make money. Yeah. <laughs> all, they, all these guys do is make money. But it, so yeah, how many purges are there? There was there was well like four or five TV years? series too. A two two seasons at least two seasons of a TV yeah. series. Right. That's what I'm saying. So like that makes perfect sense because you had purge. There's two seasons, Purge Anarchy, for, Forever Purge, Purge Election Year, and the first Purge shows, what, five? 
and 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 the purge movies were almost like an upward that it wasn't like a huge upward slope but like they they got better as it you know that like they like the first the first purge movie the most disappointing thing about it was it was just like yeah you know they set up this this really great idea that's that's really terrifying and we're in a house all the whole time you know we don't see the purge happening it's just all left to our imagination but not in, not in the right way there's more you know you're like i want to see what really happens with this this it, but the, it was a good tight you know interpersonal sort of like straw dogs movie you know with a stupid robot scenes in it and 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 but like walking out of the movie theater we were just like that was pretty that was pretty good and for a you know you don't often see these days a low budget sort of movie like that that's trying out an idea that that isn't just really stupid or half-assed or anything and then as it went on they were like okay we will show more you know we'll we'll show more of it and they just start to and they also like tied it into current events which just made it more exploitation (laughs) movie until i think the first first purge is a full-blown black exploitation movie you know it's it's awesome you know so the first purge cost three million dollars yeah awesome return on it almost 90 million yeah like that literally does that not sound like the Roger Corman school of thought? Yeah. Like make this, make this movie for, you know, like, well, remember his whole thing, Luke, we were talking except about, the, thing. except he, these I, guys went uphill with it with normally yeah. in yeah. all the history. It, the first one is the peak and it just runs downhill from there on. Maybe right. once in a while, you'll get a quirky third or fourth entry. That's really good or something, but mostly well, okay. it's like we'll, we'll spend less and we'll take less time as we go along and we'll just squeeze all the money out of it and th- this they built upon it until right. somebody said but, make it into a tv show you know the thing is what corbin would say is you can give me ten thousand dollars two two movies at ten thousand dollars to say and i can make two movies with that or i could make one really good movie for twenty thousand dollars and what happened was when they finally when aip gave corman the money said okay here's the 20 grand go make and that's when he turned out the edgar Allan poe color movies and as much as people might not remember them exactly those were groundbreaking at the time because it's poe right it's it's well written well written stories but he didn't exactly follow the story but you kind of already knew those names and whatever he had vincent price in him he made him in color he did exactly what instead of keep making the $10,000 movies, he goes, let's try to make a bigger one. And it upped the game. It made it to a better level. Then the next well, one was easier to make. What well, I'm saying he was with- also thinking, too, where he would go like, okay, I'm making this big budget one, but, you know, we're not filming this weekend, so I'll just do so. Right. I'll, I'll grab Nicholson and of we'll use, use these sets while they're set up, right? Why He's not? Well, that, that's, that's, that's what happened with Dimension terror. 13. Dimension yeah. 13 was the film was like they were filmed. They had filmed something else. They said, we're already over here in. Yes. Um, what did they film that? Wales, I think. I, somewhere in yeah. the UK. And they said, well, why, why don't we? And, and Coppola's like, well, can I shoot this movie? He goes, sure. If you can afford it, do it. Use the leftover money from this other movie to make yeah. this yeah. while you're over there. 
that's what he called the terror is literally filmed. Yep. I want to say it's the raise that the Raven they're filming the Raven yes. and they have the terror and it's like, wait, literally all the same people. Yes. Cause we're all here. We just filmed a bunch of extra stuff and then they filled in around it. I mean, yeah, what was and the, guess what the, yeah. And guess what the set budget was on the, on the terror zero. zero. <laughs> what was awesome. the one I remember where they were like, they went to, they went for a weekend in oh that they go to like the Bahamas or something whatever somewhere off the off the Florida coast for a weekend and you wind up shooting two movies because he's like we were shooting the movie we were doing he was but I had this other idea so we just kind of shot the pieces you needed there and then filled in I forget what it is but it's like he literally just said yeah. hey, we're here already let's just do a little extra stuff they did they made two full movies on the cost of one. And even though those movies might not be blockbusters, they might not have been, you know, the the most you know lucrative movies they were made. They certainly made all their money back. They and made their stuff. money back, and usually, like I, I mean, I don't, I, I, I believe, like if I recall from his book, there was only like one or two movies that he lost money on, or there was like one movie that he lost money on. Yeah, I, ever, I don't, you know, it's and and if he's losing money on it, it wasn't like he took an absolute bath. There's no right, right, there's right, exactly. Situation here, you know. You know, it's hard to thing. take a bath without a lot of bath water, anyway. You know, so there's like... it's hard to take a bath when there's no water in the tub. <laughs> but yeah, but again, no. anyway, uh, I mean, the thing is, as Ali said, it, it's 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 always been the case with horror and, and these Bloomhouse films. They they fit the mold, and and Black Phone fits the mold as well, and. To the point that now, I mean, they're even discussing how to do a sequel to this. And it's like, that's astounding to me. Because I'm not sure how you do a sequel. You can do a prequel, I guess. But, you know, we all know in Hollywood, you know, uh, money talks and you know what walks. Well, so that's... You, could do, you, could, you could do a sequel to this. If, if, if But, like, I would approach it as a completely, di like, as not not the same thing, like, take it 30 years in the future, like Dr. Sleep. Yes. But you got you got the little girl who's obviously got the the psychic powers and stuff. You still got the dad and the little boy, and the police had have formed a relationship with her. You know, in this movie, they it's only like three or four little scenes, but you can tell the police like are like, "What the fuck's up with this kid?" And after a while, they're like, "Yeah." And by the end of the movie, yeah. The, the, so, you know, I mean, the police could be coming to this kid you know after after this you know there's still there's still story you just it just won't have the grabber it just won't be a grabber story yeah. anymore i think it would be foolish to do another serial another serial killer in denver story or something like that yeah. but there's but there's other aspects of it since you know the i and and the sun does the the sun seems to have a little bit of what of a little bit of shine shine to him too yeah and and that's I mean, isn't that the whole idea though is that there's if if you're going to make a quote unquote sequel um and you clearly have already killed off the villain like yeah. it's not like he's coming back from the dead because like, yeah. if they bring him back from the dead this isn't jason Voorhees. there ain't no fucking bolt of lightning coming down and hitting him in the cemetery right the movie was about the kids though so i guess the sequel would be about the kids too so yeah i'm just saying is it could be that you know you build upon the universe if yeah. they do it i mean i wish they i i hope they don't because i like it i don't think so open like it is and left to the imagination 
Well, I mean, the whole thing is we know the other kids are dead. Like all the other, they find all the bodies. So it's yeah. not like you can say, well, now we're going to go find these kids. The kids no. are dead, right? No, it would have to be a, ho- a whole other different yeah. <coughs> scenario altogether, you know? Yeah, exactly. Or they could adapt another Joe Hill story, um, yeah. you know, kind of thing. It's not like he didn't he only wrote one. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, he has several books. I mean, 20. I wonder how Stephen King feels about the abusive bearded dad, bearded drunk dad in, <laughs> in, in this movie. Well, uh, let's 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 be honest here. There are times when Stephen King didn't have any idea who he was. He didn't uh, have a, any idea what he was typing until he was <laughs> turning it yeah. into the publisher. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying maybe that's why some of his books meander at times. I'm I'm not I'm not maybe. putting too much on it, but I'm just saying. Well, yeah, uh, it's a, a lamp drug. monster. Ooh, lamp monster. Ooh. Yeah. Hey. And, and then the Coke machine started heading down the road. <laughs> you know what I love about that Family Guy joke with uh, the lamp monster and Stephen King is that the publisher at the end of this bit goes, "When can I have it by?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, the worst problem is is that the lamp monster there. No one even realized that that's already a movie. It's called Amityville 4, uh, yeah. The Evil... What is it? Uh, evil Escapes. Evil Escapes. Yeah. And if you'd like to hear Luke and I talk about that, go to Bots, Bugs, and Bays, or Luke and I cover that exact movie. You, you, uh, you, know, but, you can but, tell when Stephen King became a money-making machine. I got my all my Stephen King hardcovers. I'm oh, looking yeah. over at them. And as you start with the early ones, it's just a book. You know, it's got... It's got the name of the story is the big part of the thing, and then it says Stephen King next to it, and that's it. But as it goes along, Stephen King starts getting bigger, and then the publisher is like, "Wait, wait, we're gonna take up a good chunk of the bottom of this." Too. You know, everybody's <laughs> like, "Let's get our, we gotta all get our names on this money, money machine." Everybody's yeah. got to know what what's going on here. I mean, and well, you there can, was... you can just see the names getting bigger and bigger as it goes on, and then. Then shrinking down a little bit as as in the later period. <laughs> there was a time when like when like when it came out, like when, when I mean, and I don't know, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys remember, but like I clearly remember it coming when it was coming out. It was like talked about. This is the book that's coming, and the amount of people who were sitting on beaches across the country reading it. Yes, it brought daylight because it was so, it was so terrifying. "Quote unquote," you had to read it during the day, and there was a commercial with Stephen King on the commercial. He says, "My new book," and he talks about whatever it is. He goes, "It is one of the scariest things I've ever written," and he literally—that's what it is. It's Stephen King on TV, looking coked out of his skull, telling, <laughs> "This is the scariest thing I've ever written." I'm just warning you: if you scare easily, don't read it. And what the fuck do you do? Immediately, everyone wants to read it. Yeah, like you know. Oh, see, just I, like... as as a kid, I had to get them through the the public library, and that's right. the thing is like, and and they knew me at the public library because I was a super nerd, and so like when the Stephen King book was coming out, I knew it was coming out. The librarian kept me up on it, and then I had to go on the list, and yeah. like as time went on, that list started becoming like hardcore, you know. But the good thing about it is people would read it fast, so. Yeah, <laughs> librarians like oh, you're number third. Oh, you're number fifteen now. You know oh, it's coming, and then they like actually call you up on the phone and go, "It's 
you know, it's time to read the stand now. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to let you. And it's, and it's, and it's a one week sign out. You're not going to get it for more than that. You can't re-sign it out after that because half the town is lined up waiting for you. Yeah. Ah, the good old days. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that just so crazy to think? It was more fun. It was more fun and it put more, you know. Stuff wasn't just as easily just sort of like boom, consumed and then moved on to the next, you know. You had to yeah. you 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 had to sort of dwell on stuff. I still like I mean books are the only thing that I like right now I can still sort of milk if I have a really good book it's like all right, I'm going to read this like, you know, I'm going to slow down on reading this. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Otherwise, like with like movies and TV, you're just fighting to keep up if you want to even try to keep up. Yeah. Just I, if you I want to just watch I good can't stuff. Keep up anymore. Yeah, I'm I can't keep old. up with good stuff. There's too much other stuff I want to do. Yeah. But pretty much. But I'll, but I'll watch this again for sure. This will be this uh, this this will be a different like um I can't remember for I think it was Jason who was saying this will this will be, or uh, you know like um usual suspects it'll be a different viewing on the second time it, it absolutely will yeah but but the, like you know like we said earlier the performances are all good it's shot yeah. like a dream it's gritty it's it's serious there's legitimate peril and it feels real even with the supernatural stuff that's in it oh yeah and and hero come on you're they how many kids get killed in this uh, well, we don't actually see any outright killings, but the children, no. the, there are children in peril constantly. Yes. Yes. Um, and actually it's funny, uh, Madeline, Madeline McGraw, who's, uh, Gwen, she plays the little sister. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, uh Scott Derrickson was so impressed with her, uh, with her audition and stuff. Um, and she had to go finish up shooting, um, uh, whatever the, the not the radius the um, Sulphur Springs. It's it's one of the shows on Disney and stuff like that. She had to finish shooting that, so he held up production. So he did whatever he could do that didn't involve her, just to make sure she was in it because he felt so strongly that she needed to be the daughter. He felt strongly that um, Mason T- uh, Thames needed to be, you know, Finney. Like he he picked the kids he want. He picked he handpicked things, and I think it shows. You know, kind of yeah. thing. I think. You know, we, we see people who are good in their roles. I mean, Ethan Hawke, I mean, we remember him being like, you know, this baby face kind of thing back in the late eight, you know, early 90s kind of thing. Right. And now he's the old man kind of thing, you know, making these movies <laughs> he's always, now. He's always had a little creepy to him, too. So this oh, definitely yeah, like yeah. works. Yeah. You know, hit him, Eric Stoltz, those guys like that. They're always a little like, yeah, that guy's he's a little not, He's not Kevin Spacey creepy, but he's Thank God. he's got something yeah, no. going on. Yeah. 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 So anyway, but well worth it, folks. If you'd like to see this, it's available pretty much anywhere. Um, it well, used to- I mean, it's it, what? Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, it was on <laughs> it was on Peacock until yeah. like the week before we were going to prep the show. I was going to prep the show and it went off. I'm like, really? Yeah. Really? It'll be back- It'll be back on Peacock eventually. It'll be eventually. back on the cock eventually. So, but it's back on, on the it's cock, on Amazon. Yeah. You know, when cock yeah. is ready to rock. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like I'm saying, it's readily it's available. Kung Fu Rooster, by the way. Streaming yeah. on the cock. Yeah, if you if you'd like it's to, buy Kung Fu wood. Rooster was about a chicken who knew Kung Fu. So, you know. Was... Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So if you'd like to rent it or something like along those lines or purchase it, again, if you purchase the Blu-ray, you already have the digital. Um, if you watch it, however. Um, but, you know, kind of thing like that along those lines. <clears throat> it's on Amazon Prime, things like that. It'll go, it'll cycle in and out of being available on Prime at some point. Um, I'm sure Shudder will have it at some point. It's what happens with these movies. Almost nothing is exclusively always on or always off. It cycles through. So, um, but it's out there. And if you'd like to read the book, um, the book there is the the um, they actually call it the Black Phone now, right? Which it, but it's really 20th Century Ghost. Um, the the Black Phone is what they retitled the the trade. Okay. Uh, but it's but it's but it's it's really. It's it's 20th century ghost. If you want to read it, it's a collection of Joe Hill short stories, um, several of which actually have are in talks of being optioned into uh, films or into whatever. And then, if you go Google uh, Joe Hill, you will see a young Stephen King because he literally looks yes. just like that. Exactly like, like him. Oh, so I just want to throw this out there. Remember right? this kid kid from Creep Show. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say. You, oh, really? <laughs> I said Joe Hill is the kid from Creep Show, so don't fuck with him. That yeah. kid, food. so you know. So anyway, See, you, don't you, take, don't take away the kids' comics. I, yeah. I can't wait till they do either a book or a or a book then a movie of the meta Stephen King Joe Hill horror story of the you know like the dark half type story with Joe and Stephen hill where they collaborate a la you know him and peter straub i'm looking forward to that i would not be then a movie starring stephen king and joe hill i don't know if stephen king in a movie directed by david lynch (laughs) (laughs) you can dream i I can dream i often do it sounds like pipe dream but anyway yep vaguely the air smelt of burning rubber guilty as charged These days it's more vape dreams, but you know, you know, you gotta ro- roll with the times, I guess. Well, you're not rolling. If you're rolling your vape, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I am rolling mine between my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> Even the straight edge. Back in my day, it used to be called a lid, and that was the number of vape pens that you could fit on a lid of a tobacco can. <laughs>
visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. I guess honey, well, you can bring us in if you can. I can do it. <laughs> I can bring it in if we want. It's not a big deal to me. I just didn't know, you know. Yeah, I'm. <coughs> I'm kind of phlegmy. All right, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I don't mind. I can bring it in. No Discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> we'll do it live. We'll just go on the stage. <laughs> Fuck uh, it.